The Evolve Network is now live at evolvenetwork.tv. Subscribe for meal plans, recipes, cooking shows, and our very own The Magic Pill and The Magic Plant, as well as access to my favorite documentaries. The Evolve Network is also home to our full library of podcasts, with new release podcasts airing first and in full on the channel. You can also watch selected vodcasts in a video format. Meanwhile, enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Shamini, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, sister? I am great. Great to be here with you. Great to hear that you're a fellow surfer too, because I think we're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of fun on this conversation about um, about being able to go with the flow, so to speak, and yeah. and be in touch with Mother Nature. Because I know you've you've based your work around the spiritual and also the scientific realm, and how those two. Um, should not be viewed as separate from each other, but also, but how they how they uh, live in harmony with each other. And I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak to you today. So, um, greetings. <laughs> <laughs> greetings, greetings. Good to be here. And yeah, lots of uh, lots of ways ways to go. Lots of places to surf. You know, there's a. Uh, there's a great, as you know, connection between surf flow energy and all of it is very appropriate for our times, right? Because uh, if we're not surfing the wave, we're about to collapse under it at this moment in time, right? It's pretty, um, it can be a pretty heavy, heavy thing for a lot of people. And the pandemic is not something that most of us expected. And I think in one way for me, you know, sitting from my point of view as a psychologist and scientist and a human, it's an opportunity, right? Crisis always brings opportunity. And so for me, I'm really excited about the book that's coming out, you know, Healing Ourselves, Biofield Science and the Future of Health, because I'm excited to share what we know 
about healing ourselves. And it really couldn't, it really doesn't feel like there could be a more perfect time for us to be exploring this because as one of my friends likes to say, if consciousness created this mess, then consciousness can fix it. <laughs> so then the question becomes, you know, how, how far do we go with our consciousness? How, how deep does it travel? You know, how big is the wave? And uh, what I'm learning and what my colleagues are learning doing all of this wonderful research in consciousness and healing is that the wave extends pretty far out. I mean, it's pretty amazing how much power we have on our own healing ability and especially our mental health, which couldn't be more important right now. Yeah, I'm loving the words that, um, that, that I'm hearing from you because it was interesting. I, I did a post a couple of days ago and it's always an interesting one because what I, what I shared was that no one is coming to save us except, except ourselves and we are the medicine. And we have all of the answers within us if we're willing to ask the right questions. And obviously there is wonderful human beings like yourself and others that are, uh, are wonderful guides for people, you know, in, in your chosen field. And I'd love to explore the fields that you have chosen in your life adventure, your human adventure, your spiritual adventure that have culminated over the decades to get to where we are right now sharing this conversation. And, and as you said, this is the perfect time for this knowledge that you and your, your colleagues and others are sharing at the moment to, I want to say, break the paradigm of, <laughs> of where a lot of people think they are in regards to health and healing. But it definitely is a huge opportunity now for, for voices like yours and, and others to, to guide down a, a, a different path. So do you mind taking us back to the coincidence and the choices that you have taken and the yeah. intuition that you have, that you used to be where we are today? Sure. Beautiful question. And, you know, for me, honestly, the path was pretty straightforward. It was just where I found myself. I grew up, I'm from East Indian heritage. I, I grew up in a tradition called Jainism, uh, which some people may have heard of. Jainism is very small. It's considered a religion. Some would call it a philosophy. There's some resemblance to Buddhism in that there's a belief in, you know, in karma. Well, some Buddhists don't believe in karma, but some do. There's a belief in a soul, you know, these sorts of things. And I grew up in the South and all my friends were Baptist Christian. So right away, and I would go to church with them, you know, it was great. So right away I noticed, one, this is really fun because not everyone thinks like I do. Two, wow, not everybody thinks like I do, <laughs> you know? And so going to school, it was kind of the same thing where it was like, wow, okay, I love science. I love what we're exploring. And I'm reading these really far out books in my parents' library about subtle bodies and yoga and meditation and pranayama. And this is before any of that was popular, right? So when they were making all these assertions at the time, I thought of, oh, if you do yoga, it activates your parasympathetic nervous system and, you know, heals you on the cellular level. And so the skeptic in me, that grew up in the Western scientific tradition, even as a kid, and I'm talking like 11, I was reading these books at 11, and I was like, how did they know that? 
Like, really, how, how can they just make these assertions? Like, I understand this is ancient, but really, like, where's the data, right? At an 11-year-old, I was asking where the data was. My dad is a chemist, so maybe that's something to do with it. And then at the same time, I couldn't deny the experiences that I was having, that I saw others having. And I realized that in, in the world of science and medicine, you couldn't talk about the spirit. You just, it was out of bounds. You couldn't talk about it. You couldn't talk about consciousness. You couldn't talk about much really related to that. This was, I'll give you a glimpse. I was at Columbia University in the early nineties. That's where I did my undergraduate um, in neuroscience and behavior. And which was a new field at that time in the early nineties, it was a new undergraduate program. And they were telling us that the brain doesn't change after age seven. That's what they were telling us at, you know, Ivy League University. This is what they're teaching their students. And intuitively, you're saying, how do you use your intuition? Well, intuitively, I thought that just doesn't sound right. And then I questioned again, I said, on what data are they basing this on? Well, there's only a handful of studies. They haven't really looked at this. And if you're looking at the world and you're noticing anything about what happens in your body mind, you recognize that we're part of a system. We are a system. We're embedded in systems. And so this idea that systems don't change, that they say static, it just didn't sit right with me. And I started wondering right then and there whether we had all the answers in science and whether there was something that we could learn from these ancient spiritual and medical traditions. Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, Tibetan medicine, native medicine, they all had this cosmology, right? They had this way of understanding the world that was fundamentally connected not disconnected. But in science and medicine, it was like your brain is here, your immune system is here, you know, all these, you have all these, you have the different parts that kind of are talking. Maybe they talk together, but we don't know. Go see a specialist for the brain. If you have a heart problem, go see the cardiologist, right? So that's fine. You know, to some degree, Western medicine is wonderful. You know, it's really it's helped us solve a lot of problems. It's great in emergency settings. You know, there's a lot of value to it. But somehow, as human beings, we want to engage in this either or thinking where it's like, oh, well, all those indigenous medicine traditions, they, you know, this cosmology thing, this the, the, the role of consciousness and healing, you know, that's all I had a professor tell me when I was at the University of Arizona tell me that's all primitive medicine. OK, so here we start to see, you know, so I'm standing here as an Indian American woman listening to this older white professor tell me. All of these indigenous forms of medicine thinking um, that have persisted through millennia are just primitive medicine. And I'm also gathering information about the limitations of our current scientific method to understand healing. And so, you know, as an integrationist, having the privilege of kind of living in different worlds, it was sort of like, why don't we put these things together? <laughs> you know, why don't we actually start looking at the whole picture? And so that's where I discovered this field of psychoneuroimmunology. Okay, so the joke about that term is that if you can say that term 10 times quickly, you get your degree. Because everyone's like, what? That's such a mouthful, Shamini. Psychoneuroimmunology. It was so funny because yeah. I, I was reading that to my wife and it took me two or three times to, to get it, <laughs> to, to, to be able to say it out, out properly. So we scientists like acronyms. So we actually say P and I for short. You know, my husband jokes. He's like, you guys got an acronym for everything. But it's better than saying psychoneuroimmunology <laughs> a lot of times. So we say P and I. And P and I is the study of how our minds really are spirit, right? Psychoneuro psycho is not psycho, it's psyche, which is actually spirit, 
right? But so it's the study of our mind, emotions, and even our spirit on our immune system and our brain, because all these things are connected. And that's what we're discovering in PNI and in this field that, you know, as you know, probably I'm super excited about called biofield science, which is a study of fields of energy and information that connect us and heal us. Simple. <laughs> so this is the thing. I think to a lot of people, it sounds really complex and abstract, but honestly, it comes back to what we were talking about with surfing. Because what this, the biofield is, is teaching us, it's about how vast our connection is. So we do things, Pete, like we, you know, we can study the biofield by studying devices. There are devices now using light and sound that are being used to heal people. There's, for example, focused ultrasound that's being used in Alzheimer's disease and in Parkinson's disease. So we can use sound to target tissues and even, you know, get rid of tissues that we don't need anymore in the brain. That's one way things have been used. But the ancients have been using the biofield. For millennia, they're working with subtle energy, whether we call it prana, chi, universal life force, so many different terms for this, right? To foster a healing response in us. We scientists like to use these very fancy terms. So we like to say the process of salutogenesis. Salutogenesis is essentially the process of healing. And that's a natural process in us. And we know this, right? We cut ourselves and our wounds generally heal. Might need a Band-Aid, might want to put, you know, some ointment on there, but the body heals itself. So, you know, going through all of that, I thought, why do we focus so much just on the study of disease and not as much on the process of healing? And what can we learn about all of these ancient traditions and even modern traditions like Reiki and healing touch and therapeutic touch and pranic healing? What could we learn from those traditions about how healing works? So that all these things that we call spontaneous remissions or anomalies aren't really anomalies. They're just things we don't understand because we haven't been paying attention to that side of the coin, right? Oh, we, um, we could talk for hours or days. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. <laughs> I, I, I do want to understand. I've got a question about healing because it's such a... Um, it's such a powerful word. And, and I want your definition. I know you gave it just before. But what is your definition of healing or health? And is our default to be in a state where we actually don't need to heal ourselves? Mm, beautiful question. Yeah, and I loved your follow-up question, actually. So to me, healing is simple. It's a return to wholeness. It's really that simple. So what does that mean? We talk about this a lot because we've been taught to believe that healing is curing, that, that healing is about getting rid of something I don't want, like getting rid of a disease, getting rid of a symptom, because that's the way we've been trained to think. There is something outside me that I don't want that doesn't serve me and I want to get rid of it. I'm going to take a drug to get rid of it. I'm going to maybe practice mindfulness to get rid of my anxiety. You know, this is the way we've been trained to think. But when we approach something from a healing perspective, and this rings true for pretty much every healer I've talked to, when I ask them, what is healing? What is, what are you doing? They say, I'm not a healer. I don't like that term. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that say, that do healing work, that say, don't call me a healer because it's not me. 
I am facilitating a process why, where a person can reconnect with whether, whether they say soul, spirit, higher self, God, they have different ways of describing it, but their job is to work with these subtle fields of energy and information with the prana, with the chi, to realign the person with their highest spiritual self. And in the process of that realignment, healing happens and healing is that return to wholeness where there is a sense of peace that we understand that the wholeness that we feel is not simply on the physical level or even the mental level but the emotional and the spiritual levels as well even interpersonally right sometimes we see this somebody gets a healing treatment and all of a sudden the relationships are better because it's a whole system so when we return to wholeness you know, and there are many ways to do that. Energy healing practices are one way, but there are many ways for us to engage in healing. Your follow-up question then was, I think something around, do we have to try to heal? So in that view, when we're aligned, if we just engage in what we might call spiritual practice, right? Or a sense of the oneness or sense of something beyond our conditioned minds, it's kind of spontaneous. It's not a forced thing. So I, don't, I don't have to force myself to get healed, but I can create the conditions to allow healing to happen. And so that's that's really, I think, a key for us, especially in these times are, are we creating the conditions for ourselves to allow healing to happen, both for ourselves and for our communities? Let's talk about that a little bit more because I, uh, let's take the last 18 months for, as, an, as an example. And Many people watch mainstream television or read the newspapers or online. And I'm very uh, acutely aware of how words uh, can be used as a spell, so to speak. You know, pardon the pun, but, you know. And when people um, have a repetition, uh, have a repetitious or repetitive message coming to them from everything they're listening to on the radio, the television about uh, fear and viruses and things like this. How does a human being navigate that? And I'm, I'm talking about sort of mainstream population. Yeah, that, absolutely. Th that would need this information or, or do they intuitively, do you believe that the human being, the human spirit intuitively knows that something might be, is a little off in the messaging and the words that are being used? And I'm not trying to put you in, a, in an awkward spot yeah. here, but um, yeah. you understand where I'm going. No, it's not this. awkward at all. I think it's a really great question, actually, because no matter where we are, you know, in, in the polarizing forces that try to force us to think one way or the other or tell us we have to make a decision and we are on this camp or that, that camp, all of that mainstream messaging that's happening, as I think everyone listening here is aware, causes fear and causes what I call dualistic thinking, right? It's again, that either or thinking. I'm either in this camp or I'm in this camp. You know, God forbid, I'm just trying to get all of the information and figure out what's happening and how I feel about it and do my own risk assessment and think about what I think is right, right? There's no time for that when we're getting this onslaught of 
information that is causing fear and anxiety. And one thing we know, right, it's pretty basic science is that fear narrows our field of attention. Because that's, you know, there's a reason for that, right? The saber-toothed tiger is running through the forest and you got to narrow your field of attention so you decide whether you're going to try to fight him, run, freeze, or what are you going to do, right? So this is the way our biology and our physiology is wired. And and people know this, right? People in advertising, people in other, they, they know how to work with our emotions. And our emotions are a beautiful thing. But when we get flooded like this, the first thing that I suggest is take a breath, and take a step back from that source of information that is causing you anxiety. That doesn't mean stick your head in the sand, okay? It just means, okay, I got it. I heard it, <laughs> now I'm gonna turn off the TV. I read the news, now I'm gonna take a breath and I'm gonna actually check in with my body for a minute. I'm gonna actually take a breath and I'm gonna check in with my body and I'm gonna just try to digest this in my own way and in my own time. And then maybe I'll reflect on it Maybe I need to go outside and put my feet on the ground and breathe for a moment, right? So really taking that time and space, it's really good for medical decision-making, honestly. You know, it's really good. It's okay. We don't have to like move into these knee-jerk reactions. The other thing I'd want to say about this, <laughs> the media, you know, as we know, is interesting and they have their job to do and they do it. As a scientist, I will say, we... We are okay to a certain degree with uncertainty because, you know, as a scientist, I know we don't have all the answers. I know we may not even be looking in all the places that we could be looking at, which can sometimes be frustrating to me, right? Because I say I want to see it this way and it's just, you know, it doesn't work that way sometimes. But one thing that I have learned to make peace with is instead of getting frustrated that we were told this yesterday and now we're being told this tomorrow and whatever, that is kind of how science evolves. We don't always know all the answers and the media wants us to feel like they have the answers, but the truth is they don't have all the answers. Nobody does. The virus is evolving, right? This is one example. Do we know what the next variant's gonna look like? Do we know whether the vaccines are gonna be effective for that? Are we gonna be able to find you know, proper um, ways of treating people who get infected with the virus? Will we be able to look at the data to better predict who might be able to get through an infection and who may end up in the hospital? These are all questions we don't really have answered. And I understand that there's a lot of uncertainty to it. So I come back again to all of the things that I have learned, right? That I kind of, I, I explain <laughs> thoroughly in my book about what we can do. And there's a lot we can do. The first thing we can do is recognize when we're being put in a state of anxiety or we feel like we're in a state of anxiety. And there are things that we can do for that because we can't make good decisions when we're anxious, you know? So it's not about getting, remember now, we're not trying to get rid of our anxiety. We're not gonna have anxiety about the fact we have anxiety. It's absolutely natural that we should be having anxiety right now. You'd be crazy if we didn't have some anxiety about the situation, whether it's for ourselves, our family members, the world, whatever. Can we come back to a place of connection and move our dialogue and our decision-making from there. That's really, I think, what the big human question is right now. That's part of our test with this whole thing is how do we come together when we think differently, when we're being given different information? How do we come back to that knowledge, as you said earlier, what the spirit knows? Can we listen to the spirit? Can we listen from a more calm, connected place? 
So I will say, you know, I know I'm, I'm speaking kind of in, you know, more inspirationally and whatever, but there are practical keys to how we can begin to come to that place of healing and harmony and connectedness. I'd love to get into some of the solutions or, or um, the guides that you can recommend for us. But I do have a question, and it's probably one of the most controversial questions I've ever asked anybody, and it's and, and this is the first time I've asked it, but it, it's, it's, it's on my radar this week and last week. Uh, in Australia, for instance, and New Zealand, uh, I've had many, many people reach out to me and say, there doesn't seem to be any other way that I can support my family or keep my job unless I take this vaccine that they're uh, pretty much mandating throughout the world, but especially here in Australia at the moment, for healthcare workers uh, or frontline workers. And it looks like school children will be next. And people that want to, in Australia, just so you know, um, between states now, they've, they've issued that you can't cross the border until you're vaccinated. And, and that just sort of yeah. came about very, very quickly. So there's a lot of people that would be listening and watching this that have the belief that they would never take it. Um, there are some that probably have the belief that it's it's what needs to happen to for them to be safe. But for the ones that feel like they're in a position where they're going to have to take something like this, and myself and others over the last year and a half have shared information that would make you doubt that it's the healthiest choice once something mm -hmm. like that goes into the body because it hasn't had the long-term safety effects or safety studies done on this work. How does somebody, because we're talking about spontaneous uh, healing or healing, how would somebody approach putting something into their body that they don't want to take but feel like they've got no other choice and then for them not to go into a state of panic and fear and yeah. come into a state where they own their body's healing capabilities for something mm -hmm. like this? You know, I know mm -hmm. it's a tricky question, but. Oh, it's a beautiful question. It is a tricky question. But I don't mind answering it. And actually, I'll answer it by sharing my own story. I'll, I'll share my, I'm, I'm, I feel perfectly vulnerable enough to share that and, you know, hopefully won't get killed for doing so. <laughs> But so I'll preface this by saying one of the things that that has saddened me over this past couple of months is seeing the division in our holistic and spiritual communities around this. And again, I go back to make your own decision and stop blaming everyone else for not making the decision that you think is good to make. And look, a lot of my friends are MDs and pretty much every MD I know personally thinks that we should take the vaccine. They've, and some of them feel very strongly about it. And some of them are having what they call compassion fatigue because they're seeing this. And it is complex. I just had a friend of mine whose father passed away in the hospital after contracting COVID, right? And we could say a lot about that. That's not to say, oh, we should have taken the vaccine. He didn't want to take it. He did not take it, okay? He did end up in the hospital. A lot of people contract COVID and don't go in the hospital. The issue is we just don't know, right? So for me personally, I really felt caught in the middle and in some ways still kind of do. First, personally, for myself personally, I was very undecided for all the reasons that you mentioned. 
you know, and here I'm hearing about things from my doctor friends and, you know, hearing about people past and then thinking about as a teacher who will be traveling, what is the right thing to do? And, you know, where is the data, which is always changing, right? So I was very much in a state of anxiety around it. And the first year and a half, I was at peace because we sheltered at home completely. My kids didn't go to school, nothing. We didn't go out to eat. We both loved to cook, so it wasn't a loss, you know, and we were at peace because it's like, we're not we're not spreading anything. We're not doing anything. If we go out, we wear masks. That was the choice we made. Then the summer, I began to do a little more traveling. I went to the West Coast. And at that time, in the early summer, the understanding was the Delta variant, which, you know, hit home for me personally, because it hit India pretty hard, as you might remember, and a lot of family and friends there. And, you know, some of them had been at least partially vaccinated and they recovered. A lot of people died. There weren't a lot of vaccines. Again, there's so much data there. Who knows what the truth is? What we thought the truth was in the beginning was in the summer, vaccinated people don't seem to be carrying the Delta as much and they don't seem to be dying in the hospitals. Well, I have elders, you know, both my uh, thank, you know, thank the goddess, both my parents and my in-laws are healthy and living and had chosen to take the vaccine. They did fine. And as I was contemplating traveling, I thought, I really don't know how I feel about this vaccine. I'm a little bit scared to take it because I don't know what the long-term side effects are. I don't know whether I really need it or not. I've met people who are still suffering from long COVID, who were perfectly healthy as horses and had absolutely no issues and they can't breathe. And I have other friends that got it and were fine. So again, it's the uncertainty, right? It's the uncertainty. I don't know what I should do. Ultimately, I made a decision to get the vaccine. And it took me a good solid year and a half until I was ready to make that decision. I had to kind of bring in all of the data for myself, weigh all of my options, think, think about the risks and benefits. And I made that decision. For me, making that decision brought me at peace. And what I did, because I did have some trepidation around the vaccine, I had some friends that were very upset that I was going to do it. I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. We'll see you there. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast podcast.